We're new to Lin, baby. Welcome to Connecting the Classics. And we're noodling, I'm about to do this intro freestyle. Discuss, Lee and I discuss albums. We discuss. You know what the podcast is, you listen every week. We discuss myself, Will Hagel, music enthusiast, music writer, and my co-host Lee Robinson. We pick two classics albums and we connect them Kevin Bacon style. But you know more than I know. 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 And since you know more than I know, you know we're about to launch into some JJ Kale. That was John Kale. This is JJ Kale, Ride Me High. And Lee actually fired first. We got a theme this week. It's the Noodles episode. We're talking noodling. Lee fired first with his album, so I'll let him talk now after five minutes of me talking. Well, first thing I want to say is when I kept Googling noodling, I guess it's a way to catch cash catfish. Did you ever stumble upon that at all? I did with know that. And we'll be getting into that with catfish. my connections. There's a, okay. There was like a discovery or some reality show about noodling that I watched a long time ago. And I've always wanted to try uh, it. It's when you catch catfish with your bare hands in the river. Yeah. Uh, but for this episode, we'll be talking about noodling mostly in a music context. I sent you... And also in a catfish context. Don't worry. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, I sent you Django Reinhardt. The, the great artistry of Django Reinhardt was the album. Uh, recorded right before his death. And uh, features him at the very, very end of his career. Uh, a lot of jazz standards on this. But you know, mainly picked him because he's notorious for having two fingers and he kind of has this noodling way of playing um, that went on to you know inspire a lot of jazz guitarists so did you have a personal connection to this album like you like this album more than his others i didn't even know who this was so i was excited to listen um i don't have a personal connection uh, the reason i chose this album was because is because uh it's you know, he was recording in the 30s and 40s, so this was a, a like a complete album that he recorded as the very end of his career. Cool. Yeah, so we'll talk about him because, like I said, I had no idea who he was, but I thought it was a good album. Definitely one of those albums, Lee Picks, where every song sounds the same, but I put it on and I get some nice vibes of just hanging out you know, having an easy day. I put it on in the middle of the day and definitely a lot of noodling. And then I fired back with a band that I've been Bowder Meinhofed by recently. Been seeing their name everywhere um, because my dad drove my car and he put on Sirius XM, a classic rock station, I think vintage vinyl or something like that. And they were always playing some Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Uh, and then I was, uh, also from Deltron 3030 on the last episode, we were talking about dystopian music and I mentioned them last episode that they have a long four part, I think song called Carn Evil 9. That's an example of dystopian fiction used in music. So I thought it'd be fun to listen to their album, their fourth album, Brain Salad Surgery. 
And you know, you might get a salad with noodles in it. And also they do a lot of noodling on the organs and the synths and the keys with- So uh, much noodling. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get into them, but let's get into Django first. Let's unchain Django Reinhardt. All right. Uh, real quick before I jump into this, did you know he only played with two fingers on the fret? Fretboard? I had no idea. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like he's got 10 fingers. It's one of those things where the limitation almost makes it better. Or like, you know, Jimi Hendrix plays left-handed or Kurt Cobain plays left-handed too. But I think Jimi Hendrix just turned his guitar upside down. Yeah. No, no, it, I definitely think you're and right. So it's almost like the limitation. Stevie Wonder is blind, allegedly, even though there's a conspiracy theory that he can see. <laughs> <laughs> the Michael, uh, there's the Michael Jackson photo where he's like suspiciously peering <laughs> over at Stevie Wonder in the studio. Uh, that's great. All right, launching in Django Reinhardt. We got a lot of jazz standards on here, but this one is the blues for Ike. Like this one by name alone. Just imagine whenever he does these runs, he's not going up a fretboard or like, you know, traveling across strings. He's going up a fretboard because he only has two fingers. So he learned like scales going up a string instead of across a fretboard, which is pretty nuts. What happened to his hand? Uh, so, did you, so do you know anything about him? So he's. I he's know real nothing. Famous. I didn't even. I've never he, even heard his name. He has. Uh, he has like a gypsy Romani background. I don't know if I could use the word see if that's been canceled. No, you can't. But we'll uh, traveling around. <laughs> he's. Uh, I think French, or French Belgian. But anyways, he got injured in a fire. Uh, he knocked over like a candle or something. He lived out of like a caravan wagon and uh, burnt his pinky finger and his ring finger. So he only played with the two pointer and middle. Uh, and he basically had to relearn guitar because he was, I think, like 18 or 19 when he burned himself. Wow. But like you were saying, I think it pushed him to be innovative. Uh, and he started to get into jazz later in his career, which is where we are at with this album. And so he kind of blended his like background playing traditional Romani music with jazz and um, I think mainly his live performances used to just blow people away yeah I'm sure like and I'm thinking about it as someone who plays guitar like I couldn't I would have to try really hard to play this fast and the fact that he's doing with two fingers I bet his two fingers have to work essentially because usually use four so essentially they're working in double time to hit everything or he gets innovative like you mentioned a little noodling on the piano here, too. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia said that he was also known for having a really, like, quick, precise strum. Because he has all his, his, like, use of his hand on his right hand. So he would compensate a lot with his strumming. Ah, uh, I see. Powerful strum. Delicate. So does, he doesn't really play chords, so he's just noodling the whole time. He's always noodling. Yeah, I definitely would 
like recommend listeners Google his name and watch a performance. I think he's got some old black and white videos of him. Um, it's pretty nuts. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page of him, and he has four fingers, five fingers. Yeah, he just lost use of them. I see. Oh, they they didn't come off or anything. Yeah. He should have cut them off on stage, like, instead of smashing his guitar, he just slices (laughs) off two of his fingers. Yeah, we'll get to that later. (laughs) Oh, Weaving webs. We don't plan this. Uh, no, great pick. Yeah, I knew nothing about him. Definitely was very pleasant. Every song on the album sounds exactly like that. So you can't go wrong it with does. whatever you pick. And I'm just going to give you a quick gavel here for the use of a word that I'm not going to repeat. And I did look up his Wikipedia and saw he's of Rom- Romani descent, which we'll be getting more into that later. Romani. But they, I mean, they literally call it jazz which obviously is an outdated term it's kind of like the baseball league museum right or you know just like the league or the museum whatever it like keeps the title even though it's kind of an outdated term yeah but yeah i i don't think i should say he is a or anything like that all right real quick though for the listeners who might not know what is noodling when it comes to music in your mind like guitar noodling so for me i thought you know jazz is kind of borderline because i don't i don't think there's definitely got to be like a free form. You can't be thinking about it too much. And I think the technicality like can be super amateur or, you know, virtuoso, but I just think it needs to be really free flowing and like, I don't know. Like jazz, it comes from jazz improvisation, right? Improvisation. Definitely improvisation for sure. Uh, but I do think there's an amount of like you and I can noodle. Whereas I don't think I can play jazz, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was looking up noodling, I just Googled like guitar noodling Reddit or something like that and found a yeah. post of someone who said, what's up with the guitar player constantly noodling? And it's like, I'm in two bands and every single practice, the guitar player fills up every spare moment with noodling random licks and songs. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we're yeah. discussing song form, chords, et cetera, they're in the corner just tinkering ar- away, totally oblivious. What the hell is going on with guitarists? Nice. Which I feel like is so true. <laughs> like if you do play guitar, like you're go to test out a guitar in a store, you just start like noodling kind of. And it, even I feel like with bands, we've talked about like Midwest emo or something like American football. They're kind of noodling, whereas other people would play more like chords and stuff. I feel like that's what noodling. Mm-hmm. Noodling is like no chords. It's like separate notes and just letting your fingers kind of wander around. Yeah, that makes sense. But anyways, gets me to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, another group I didn't really know nothing about. Uh, this is their album, Brain Salad Surgery. already mentioned the Deltron connection to last episode, so uh, we can hear a little bit of their song, uh, Carnival 9. Part. This is Impression 1, Part 2. So they also, quick backstory on them, they're kind of one of the first supergroups. So we had Keith Emerson of The Nice, who played keyboards, and then Greg Lake, who was in King, Crimson, King Crimson, and Carl Palmer was a drummer uh-huh. of a, from Atomic Rooster. They came together when their respective bands split up, and Keith Emerson, I think, was the most famous. They were all British. He played keyboards and was also like 
early into synthesizers and uh, organs. Like he even played pipe organ, things like that. And they played like classical rock in a sense. It's prog rock, progressive rock, but they would adapt yeah. classical music, which we also talked about on the last episode. Like the Japanese guy that you played, I forget his name, but he and ELP were doing similar things. Yeah. Uh, before you jump in, though, what did you think of the album? Uh, you, had you listened all the way through before? I like it. I wouldn't probably choose to put it on, but I enjoy it for what it is. Almost like it reminds me of like Kraut Rock in that way, where it's like almost too technical in a lot of senses, but I appreciate it, but I don't uh -huh. feel it in my body as much. What did you think of it? And did you have any familiarity yeah. with them? No, never listened to them. I definitely want to listen to a different album. This one was like pretty intense in places, almost like painful. Mm -hmm. But there were some moments that were pretty great. And so I have a feeling so many people like this band that there's got to be, they felt like a really watered down Rush to me. I don't know if you had any reference points to their stuff, but it reminded me of like Rush in Kansas. Yeah, definitely. Like the prog rock. But with like none of the like pop. Not as catchy. Pop, like yeah. bluesy catchiness. It was just like super intense nerdy dungeons and dragons style like music is what I, I kept thinking of people who played dungeons and dragons in the 70s and 80s loved this band definitely so the song we're gonna hear and the opening i guess is a little famous we'll hear it but uh this is carnival nine and the story behind this is a battle between artificial and natural intelligence which ends with a man being taken over by a computer that he invented and this is like mid 70s, mid late 70s, so you know, ahead of their time. Welcome back my friends to the show that never ends. We're so So apparently that line is famous and it's been used on TV and like pumping up for sports game like welcome back to the show that never ends. And uh it came because they kept recording the songs over and over again. And then they just yelled that out as, as like, it never ends the recording process. Nice. Glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come it's got that carnival feel. Yeah. The organ is such a vibe. Pause it real quick. Uh, one thing that surprised me about this is that it's 1973 is the album you chose. And I guess in my mind, I always thought prog rock was kind of after classic rock, but it's kind of developing alongside it or inside of it. Yeah, uh, that's true. In this way that it's, it, it, I when I was listening, I was like, this feels like a rejection of classic rock as a style, like a right. deliberate choice to not be classic rock. Yeah, and I guess it was just because it's not as like soulful and bluesy, I guess, whereas classic it's rock not is inspired based. by the blues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So it's like almost like the but math it's still rock this of like time. virtuoso. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sure, yeah, like math rock. Um, all right. It's rock and roll. I guess this was a big hit. Little noodling. <laughs> yeah. It's also interesting that like keyboards take the place of guitar in a lot of senses. Noodling. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this kind of music, it always feels like, compared to like Led Zeppelin or something, it feels like for people who are uptight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or who get pushed into lockers. Yeah. <laughs> This but is definitely the, uh, the best song, though. Good choice. Thank you. Um, so the title, Brain Salad Surgery, I guess it was originally going to be called Whip Some Skull On Ya, which was a phrase that the promoter of the band used, which he took from a song by Dr. John called Right Place, Wrong Time. Also, I like how each of them get a little solo here. Gypsy Queens. Oh! We don't plan this. Get the gavel. Cancel him. Cancel Greg Lake. Um, so I guess whip some skull on ya and brain salad surgery both are slang for fellatio. Or uh, getting some Becky as Vise would say. So I guess it was originally titled Ganton 9 after a planet they talk about in which all evil and decadence has been thrown out, but they thought it sounded like a carnival, so they named it Carnival 9. And I didn't realize uh, uh, Keith Emerson died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, just like Kurt Cobain, Weaving Webs. Uh, during their time or later? No, like recently. I, I think he was like sick, 2016. Jeez. R.I.P. Yeah, I thought you might appreciate like the keyboards and synths, though. Um, I guess the song opener 
is called Jerusalem, which I think is another like standard you might say because they read like a William Blake poem and it's been yeah. covered a bunch of songs, but I guess that was the debut of the Moog Apollo, which was a prototype polyphonic synthesizer, according to Wikipedia. So I think, you know, obviously like even on that song, you hear diff multiple different sounds of keyboards and it's almost like Krautrock or electronic kind of a template for the future, I'd say so. And again, this is their fourth album. And then after this, the band kind of broke up and they tried to rebrand as Emerson, Lake and Powell. Wow. Also say love. I love the use of the last names as like a band name. I always think that's fun if it works when people do that. Yeah. So another thing about that was when Greg Lake was teaming up with Keith Emerson, they didn't want it. They wanted to use their names to emphasize that it was three separate people and not just Keith Emerson's band because Keith Emerson was the most famous and like the nice was the biggest band. Yeah. So um, they thought it'd be like the new nice just under a different name, but they emphasize each of their names, which I thought was cool too. That's definitely like a trope. Yeah. Crosby still yeah. is Nash Young. Or yeah. We should rename this show to Will um, and Lee. And I always love it when it works. Um, I guess what I was saying earlier about my rant about classic rock, it's it's almost like it doesn't have the heavy that, you know, when you compare it against like a Led Zeppelin, which well, is I definitely guess too, rooted in the blues. And like, but what about Black Sabbath? Like, because with we've listened that's to them blues. on the podcast before. You think that's blues derivative, even though it's like proto heavy metal? Yeah, yeah. They were a blues band till they pivoted to more heavier stuff. But yeah, super interesting. It's always great when you pick stuff that, you know, is challenging. I have never really listened to. Um, other ones that I think of, I guess, with prog rock, Yes is a band that was kind of always peripherally around, but never really dove into their catalog. So maybe we'll have to pick one of theirs eventually as well. And no. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You passing it? Passing it. All right. Well, I set up basically with my last connection. We were talking about Django's hand and the use of his, or I guess the lack of use of his ring and pinky finger. Uh, that made me think about a few other guitarists. We've talked about him before. Jerry Garcia. He had mm. a piece of his fingertip that was missing, um, as well as Tony Iommi, who we were just talking about Black Sabbath, who was actually a missing multiple fingers. Wow. Uh, as you alluded to, that's always helped people, I think, sort of define their unique sound. Uh, and that's kind of one of those things in life that's sort of a lesson of you know, a lot of times overcoming adversity helps you discover something unique and, you know. Going in to lose yourself, mom spaghetti. Going into Eminem. No, just kidding. Uh, going uh, into another guitarist. Thin Lizzy, who, Thin Lizzy, drummer. Didn't he have one hand? What? He had one hand. I'm pretty oh, sure the know. drummer. The Def Leppard drummer. Def Leppard, that's what I'm thinking of. That's your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, we're talking about Hound Dog Taylor. I feel like we maybe have talked about it before, but uh, another guitarist who actually just had an extra digit. He had polydactylism, mm. uh, to which he had to cut off, not had to, but decided to cut off one night when he got drunk, amputated his extra finger with a razor blade. Wow. Launching into Hound Dog Taylor, let's get funky. He had polydactia. <laughs> yeah, it's five minutes. Emerson used the polyphonic. So I just feel like it. Kurt Cobain made poly. Feel. That's a triple right, connection to Lee. I'm not going to let you Lee. talk over Hound Dog. 
start it over, but that's a triple collection col uh, poly uh, combo. Poly? That's three nice. points. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain and uh, polyphonic synthesizer. Yeah, it's five minutes to two. With Emerson. So I just feel like... So Hound Dog is a slide guitar player. Well, you know, you know, and a uh, big influence on George Thorogood. If you hear any crossover to there. It's not the idea. I heard George Thorogood said... Invented the phrase, ain't nothing but a hound dog. Like, hey, who, who's your favorite guitarist? You like ain't nothing but a hound dog. Someone drank all the beers at a party, and someone's like, Who drank all the beers? Ain't nothing but hound dog. Alright, I'm forcing it. Minus five points. Uh, I think it's 70s, maybe late 60s. Right, uh, so I feel like Can you, you maybe brought it. it I really want to harp on this. Can you pause Wait, it real yeah, quick? I just want to harp on this for one second. H Hound dog. Like, where did that phrase come from? Did Elvis invent it? You ain't nothing but a hound dog. That's definitely the first singer was Mama Thornton, whatever her name was. Okay. So, yeah, I looked it up and it was just slang. Slang for a cheap gigolo. Big Mama. Yeah, definitely right. not George Thorogood before his time. <laughs> well, I'm wondering where the, if this guy invented the name or if it, that was like a common phrase. Oh, yeah, definitely a common phrase. Anyways, I'm going to give myself a minus a thousand, minus a thousand points for interrupting and with the pointless hound dog jokes that don't even make sense and just show my ignorance. All right, play the song. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is if you got it, pause. Oh, we did an episode with Coco Taylor. Do you remember that? Yep. Love you, her. You chose it to Coco Taylor. And it sounds like he he toured with her for a while for her gig. Nice. Uh, they're both in the Chicago blues scene. So Love it. I feel like we maybe have talked about him before, but I couldn't I couldn't recall. All right, play it. All right. Launching in. Great upbeat tempo though. I definitely agree with you. Like the era of blues is definitely later. It's gotta be late sixties, maybe even early seventies. Just the style of blues. Hmm. Rock and blues. I feel like this is also maybe some noodling in that you're just sort of uh, laying down a, a beat that someone can also improvise on top of. Do you think you can noodle with your voice? I don't know. Maybe. Like, like scat. scat? Is that a yeah. noodle? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Scat. Scatly. All right, so is there a difference between noodling and jamming? 
in my mind, noodling is like I said, like there has to be a reason it's called noodling. Because I think jamming, you could be playing power chords the whole time and you would just be improvising. But noodling, it like, I might be totally stretching it here. Like I'm laying out a pasta that I'm making by hand. But I think it's like when you go from one note down to kind of the next and then up, you know, it's like the, the way it looks on a fretboard, if you were to map it out, would kind of look like a noodle. I don't think that's why they call it that, but... Nice, I like that. Or like a pool noodle even, like it, you can bend it and then it'll go back up. So there's a simplicity for you. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just more, it's just single note kind of explorations. Yeah. And so like is this noodling? Blues, I, would, I would call this a riff, but I would call like He's a riffing. blues guitar solo noodling, especially when it's like, like some bends in there, like that. Uh, this is 76, That's by the way. Noodling. I would call that noodling, but it's like, noodling. I like this a lot, though. Motoric beat. Identified. Noodle I don't got a ton to say. I mean, there's not a lot on him. Yeah. No, I couldn't even find him when I tried to Google him right now. So uh, I'll give you a million points because that was a great jam. I love it. Launching in here. Straight into my next connection. Nice. This is King Crimson. Cold open. I love it. <laughs> this is King Crimson Catfish. Nice, million points. Sorry, let me correct myself. Towns Van Zant has a song called Catfish, but we've already listened to Towns Van Zant on another episode. This is King Crimson Cat Food. Connection here, obviously, Greg Lake. Of ELP, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer was in King Crimson. From their album, In the Wake of Poseidon. A little noodling on the piano.
bad food again. Nice. <laughs> so, King Crimson, one of those bands, like sampled by Kanye, sampled on Mad Villainy. I've basically learned about them through samples, but they got some cool stuff. Bass. So good. See, this has soul. Yeah, definitely. So, just like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, this band started as Giles, Giles, and Fripp. And then they added Lake. Yeah. Oh, little noodling. Can't talk over the noodling. the connection to classic rock they got their big break when they opened for the rolling stones in 1969 at a concert in hyde park in london and i guess similar to elp they're inspired by uh classical music but did like free jazz improvisation so brought that kind of sensibility which makes sense why it appealed to mad lib Has this been sampled for something? I'm not sure if this song in particular has, but you should sample it. Yeah, it's nice. So like, Con- people might recognize Kanye, the song 21st Century Schizoid Man. That's uh, King Cr- Crimson. Fripp would go on to have a pretty good uh, post-King Crimson career as well. Oh, really? I I haven't heard of him either. Yeah, he did a couple collaborations. Did a Brian Eno collaboration. And speaking of Mad Villainy... he did something with uh, Daryl Hall. Ooh. Hall & Oates. Hall & Oates, another name band. And speaking of Mad Villainy, I remember Jeff Jank, the artistic director of Stone's Throw, saying the album cover of Mad Villainy was partly inspired by King Crimson's In the Court of the Crimson King. Yeah. Uh, Basically, is a giant face. Yeah. And uh, another funny thing about this album, the, the album that this song came out on, is I guess at this point, 
Greg Lake was getting sick of the band and he was thinking about teaming up with Emerson and uh, an unknown guy named Elton John was booked to sing in his place. Uh, but then Fripp heard Elton John's Empty Sky album and changed his mind and said, I don't want Elton John singing. <laughs> probably for the best. Yeah. That band would be that, that probably would have ruined Elton John's career now that I think about it. Because he would have just been in yeah. this prog rock band and not making the hits. But I'll pass back. All right. We were talking about Hound Dog Taylor. You had actually asked about Hound Dog. I, I was reading a little more. He did tour with Big Mama Thornton, so give you some connection there. Nice. Direct. Uh, but it did say online, if you believe a medium.com article, that uh, he was known for chasing women. And so he was always on the hunt. That's why they called him Hound Dog. Wow. And he was actually uh, had to leave the Delta because he had an affair with a white woman and the Klan was going to kill him. According to this Medium article. But his real name is Theodore Roosevelt Taylor, named after the president, which coincidentally, did you know Howlin' Wolf, his real name is Chester Arthur Burnett, which is another mm. president. Strong first, name, too. First and middle name. Strong Weird name. Uh, coincidence. But uh, thinking of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, he was a big fan of... Do you know what? The uh the national parks. Yes, hunting. the wilderness. Noodling, catfish noodling. Launching into the launching into the OG noodlers, explosions in the sky. We haven't talked about them. We haven't talked about nice. post rock. But that's a must when you're talking about noodling. Must add a little echo, reverb, definite noodle city. This is the wilderness. Noodle City, not USA, Noodle City, USP, United States of Pasta. It's not improvisation or improvisation, it's impastization. All right, they need to let me mute your mic when these songs start. <laughs> and when the puns start coming out. Yeah. Save you from yourself. Drummers from Rockford, Illinois. I don't know if you claim that. That's close enough def- to definitely the, uh, don't claim Rockford. Champagne. All right, but I do have family that lives there. Uh, most of the bands from Texas, that's where they formed. And they all watched high school football. I always just think of Friday Night Lights. I've seen some like unspoken hate. Do you hate do you hate this band? No. Or do you think they're trite? Did they get too big and now you hate them? No, I I never you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like there's some parallels to like prog rock and post rock. Yeah, definitely. And that I usually gravitated more towards the blues and the 
soul thrill stuff more. I mean, obviously, this is very emotional, emotionally resonant music, and also kind of like spacey compared to like the fastness of Frog Rock. Now, in high school, yeah, I remember I, I, me and Patrick Mazzacco drove, and I think one other guy, I can't remember who, drove up to Chicago and saw explosions in the sky. Was it good? Yeah, I think at the empty bottle, might be wrong. Um, this isn't from their big famous album. Uh, I think it was. It's called Those. Tell the. Which one was the big famous one? It's Earth is Not a Cold Dead Place, I think. And then I also saw them at the uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery in LA in college. Yeah, they're really moody. I don't even know if I would call them post-rock in terms of the definition I think of. I mean, they definitely have elements of it. I do feel, I guess, like... Ultimately... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I do feel like Friday Night Lights did kind of ruin them for me in that it just got associated with, like, a cinematic, melodramatic sound. And it's almost like the visuals then took away from the music. Yeah, it became about epic cinematic music, which is kind of their sound now. Were you a big fan? But anyways, this album's from 2016. No, I just kind of wanted to, to talk about post-rock in some some way, and I, I connected the wilderness, which maybe wasn't the best song to use, but uh, you just want to talk about um, to Ted- Fortet. Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt. So, you want to talk about Fortet? No. But I do think there's something to the idea of loops with post-rock and, you know, making guitar music in a world where, you know, classic rock isn't the sort of uh, form or the format. And they're mostly, if not all, instrumental, right? Yeah, generally I think of it that way. Yeah. No, I like them. I'm not hating. You pass it back, though? Yeah, I'm passing it. <laughs> Cold open. Drop the charges. Wrong songs. I had a little sneak preview. Wrong song again. Hang on here. <laughs> Wait. He's gone off Wait the rails. Right here. He's just noodling. We already listened to this. Well, I'm thrown off my game here. <laughs> Order in the court. Did I not? Uh, I think I didn't download one of my songs. Whatever. We're going live. See, I was going to play a Chance the Rapper song uh, where he talks about noodles. So just imagine yeah. I did that. And I picked too many songs anyways, so... We're going from Chance the Rapper who talks about got nothing to do on the song I'm Very, Very Lonely with um, Donnie Trumpet. Then he goes into, he mentions La Cucaracha and, you know, La Cucaracha, classic song. And uh, 
there was an artist called Charo, Spanish actress who performed La Cucaracha slash La Bamba medley on the Ed Sullivan show, launching into a parody of it, of that song from 1988. This is Weird Al Lasagna. Nice. Noodling on the accordion. Is this brown face? <laughs> I think it is. Well, he's really doing a bad Italian ac- man accent. So it's white face. <laughs> I'm sensing some weird Al hate coming from you. I don't know if I respect Weird Al like some people do. <laughs> I'm also not a huge fan, but I do respect him. Because no one was doing this at the time. So one interesting thing I thought about this song was... Because, you know, Weird Al does parodies. And, uh... Under the law, he can he can do parodies as long as he pays royalties to use the original. But he usually asks for permission, anyways. And this is the uh, one of the only exceptions to the rule, because uh, this is technically like a f- traditional folk song that doesn't have an actual writer, so he can make it. And yeah, he came up with this uh, Italian character. I just don't get why he felt like he had to do this song. <laughs> He's like, I need a song. I want to do Italian stereotypes. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to... So he said... I just don't get... <laughs> he said my original thought was... <laughs> I was going to record the entire song in Italian. I was going through Italian phrase books and dictionaries until I realized the humor would be lost on 99% of the audience. So I decided to do the whole thing in English, but with kind of a bad Italian accent. Um, so that was a huge miss. But, you know, noodles, pasta, come on. I mean, I like your pick. I like the pick. I just, uh, for, I'm being critical of Weird Al and like why you would do that as an artist. I mean, I think Weird Al just doesn't stand the test of time today because like but at the time what he was doing no one was really doing it yeah no I, I like the pick just it's a weird like song material and a weird choice to use La Cucaracha as your I mean you could I mean it's just me and La Cucaracha La Cucaracha <laughs> 
What happened to Chance, dude? So what would you say about, you know, one of my favorite Weird Al songs is Amish Paradise, but is he doing blackface and is he criticizing Amish people? I feel like just in the like modern world, like Weird Al couldn't really exist, but he gets a pass because he's just a weird guy who plays the accordion. I just think the combo of the like Amish references and stuff paired with a song like Gangsta Paradise is a better contrast. Lucky Garacha is just kind of a miss, I guess, for me. Wow. Sorry, man. Humor was subjective. Just me. Just me. What happened to Chance? Why did he not just fell off? Feed the fishes. Make the pasta catfish. You can hit my line. I mean, I think Chance is still massively popular. But he was just, you know, made the choice to be an independent artist, moved back to Chicago. And oh, I, I just feel like his music kid. never got better. Which yeah. album is this from? This is like a one off, but he did those collaborations with Donnie Trumpet. And like that whole, um, is this I forget what they were called. Is this Whereas pre kind of like 2000? Is this pre 2018? Like <sighs> I'm honestly not sure. I think it's older though. At this point, it's like yeah, yeah, nine years old at this point. The social experiment. I've just. It's weird to see a young artist peak and then everything is just like steadily not as good. Yeah, but I think there's probably someone who would argue with you. I, I think acid rap yeah, in particular sure. was like he was coming out of nowhere like rapping really well in a sort of a old school style and also different kind of style for especially what was coming out of Chicago of like Chief Keith and stuff like that so I think he had a lot of hype at the beginning and I think he is kind of a big superstar still but I see what you're saying too and like I didn't really stay a fan of his like I couldn't tell you what he's done for the past five years if he's even done anything I think coloring book was certified excellent acid rap excellent I like that third album where he has three on the on his hat I forget what it's called I think it's called three yeah it's something like that I know what you're talking about um I know what you're saying though I don't know uh, it's just weird I, I would love to know why why people or like what they still like about him he seems like a great guy, but Chance fell off just like Weird Al and just like me on the podcast. I really missed with the past two, so I'm going to pass it back. Now, love, I love the picks. Don't get me wrong. At least it wasn't explosions in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we were talking about post-rock. At least trying to talk about post-rock here. Got to go back to the beginning because you know me. I like to talk about origins and... Got me to a band we haven't talked about who I was surprised to see credited with the beginnings of post-rock, but I can see it. Um, talking a, a little bit about Talk Talk. Something we I need to not them. do at the beginning of the song. Um, this comes from one of their later albums as they started to get, you know, we said cinematic and now I think about it. I definitely think there's an element of post-rock that is very emotional and cinematic. Um, but 
their last few albums are very like uh, beautiful honestly that's a word to use um, very sentimental and emotional this is off 1988 album Spirit of Eden this is Talk Talk Eden listen for the post rock 1988 Jerusalem he's on top of it folks Hey, I'm on top of the connections. The jokes aren't landing, but hey, listeners, if you like them, email us. Damn it, I'm talk talking again at the beginning of a song. I don't know this band at all. I've never heard of them. Wait, maybe I should set this up for you then, so that makes a little more sense. Uh, talk talk. You know the song "It's My Life." That's their big hit that they had in. It's now the or early never. Eighties. It's, it's my, my life. It's now. Don't or you never. forget. Do they say it's now or never? It's my life. No, don't you forget. Okay, well, I forgot that part. It never ends, or something like that. Welcome back All to right, the well, show that never ends, just never like mind. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. <laughs> I'm coming back, folks. Anyways, they stopped doing such like pop hits and they started getting to this more experimental drawn out rock songs. They're kind of like the Beatles of their time. Yeah, maybe not as popular, but yeah. But you know, 88, it's kind of that era where it's like what do you go with rock? I think you go with lasagna in 1988, if you gotta ask me. That's when Weird Al put out lasagna. This is definitely early for stuff like this, though. see like a sunrise coming up over the desert while you're driving to your almost to your destination 20 years old full life ahead of you
little slight velvet underground. Yeah. I've tried to think of a way. I don't really want to talk over this too much because it's so nuanced. We also can, you know, you get the idea. It's a seven-minute song, so we don't have to listen to the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it makes me think of the the prototype episode we did, where like, it's like you get this snippet of this idea, and then a whole genre forms out of it, where people just like use that snippet as the, like the like, instrumental parts are kind of proto post punk or post rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it literally sure. could be a explosions in the sky song or something. Yeah, I definitely hear that. I like that. But definitely Talk Talk, very polarizing. Obviously, you heard the way that guy sings is kind of off. It's a That's bit what like I was thinking. Radiohead. When the vocals come in, it kind of ruins the post-rock feel of it. Yeah. So I think it, Explosions in the Sky, if we ever heard one of them sing, what would that sound like? It would just ruin <laughs> yeah, the band. I don't know. But it, it gives me a lot of meta comparisons to like Radiohead. Oh, yeah. Obviously, they're not Radiohead. Sure. But that same idea of just like kind of annoying singing, but you learn but to it like somehow draws deal you with it. in. It's almost like <laughs> yeah. the singing is like atmospheric in a way that's trying to be like one of the instruments that's just noodling. Yes. You had mentioned Ken Voice's noodle. I don't know if he's noodling, but he's definitely using his voice in a way that you might try to like add tone mm-hmm. to it to add like emotion. Do you like it? I've gotten used to it. I think with this stuff, for sure, for these later albums, listening to the full album is, is much better than just hearing a snippet. Because right. there, there are very cinematic. It's like Explosions in the Sky, too. Like one or even Django song. Reinhardt. Or even Emerson, but, like um, a All right, we'll jump back Pretty in. Pretty much all noodles. But do you like it? I would imagine you you don't like it. I like it. I like it more it's, without it's a lot. the singing and... Uh, I think, like you said, like it would be good, kind of just zone out music. Yeah, the label hated it. Told them they should go back and like <laughs> rewrite some songs and change it, and they basically threatened to walk. So they were still able to keep the album, but it, EMI is what the label was. Music writer coined the term. His vocals sound like Peter Townsend on Dramamine. On what? Dramamine, the like uh, anti-nausea yeah, yeah. sleep 
I was pronounced it Dramamine. Oh, you can call it Dramamine. Call back to Modest Mouse. Yeah. Dramamine song. I feel like I took Dramamine and I'm about to fall asleep. <laughs> Alright, we can pass it back. Nice noodles, though. You get the idea. We're noodling here. Good choice, though. Definitely a band I've never heard of that was interesting. I want to check out more of their catalog. Because it is like the, yeah, I'll send the vocals you, uh, kind of blend in in a weird way. I'll send you It's My Life, too, so you have the contrast. Okay. We'll breeze through this one. I played this on the uh, podcast, I think, in the past. But going from Weird Al accordion to Gogol Bordello, not a crime. Genre fusion, Romani band, accordion. In the old times, it was not a crime. It's a repeated phrase on this. I was looking up some pasta crimes and noodle crimes. Do you have any crimes yeah. against pasta? <laughs> I found this article that was like uh, Italians voted on the top crimes against pasta. Number one, you got to defi- guess. Oh. Well, I'll tell you what I used to do that was wrong. I used to break the pasta. That's a uh, total, like, weird, wrong. Papa. Yeah. Faux pas, faux pas. Uh, the other thing I used to do was put oil in the water, which I didn't know was the wrong thing to do, too. Uh, damn, yeah. I don't even know if I've ever heard of that. Do you pour salt over the boiling water to get it to boil faster? That's just a common cooking thing, I think. No, but I do, I do salt the water because you want the water to be kind of salty mm-hmm. so number one was considered a faux pas not on this list but I'm sure it is to someone I guess putting ketchup on pasta is number one putting pasta in cold Yikes. water and then boiling it pineapple on a pizza pasta as a side dish Coco bordello here side note John refusion just like ELP little dub folk uh, cream and carbonara sauce, cheese on top of seafood pasta, rinsing or cooling off cooked pasta under cold water, drinking a cappuccino after yeah, a meal. Yeah, I used to do that. You don't drink a cappuccino after mid morning. Oh, actually, it's. I, I used to run it under cold water. Oh, damn. 
It is not a crime, but what? it should be. Just had to sound the gavel. What? Um, you used to run it under cold water. Yeah. It's a crime. And uh, actually, a, cr a crime is not adding salt to boiling pasta. There you go. All right. Real quick, should I tell listeners how to correctly make pasta? Sure. Key tip, or what I've learned over the years. Obviously, you got to salt the water. Huge. Save the pasta water. Because sometimes you can use it to cut your sauce, and it helps bind the pasta to the sauce, mm. which is that next level. But yeah, definitely don't ever put your pasta under cold water. If you're worried about it being overcooked, just pull it out a little early and let it sit. You heard it here first. Back to the noodling. This is another song. <laughs> All from of that album. should go on later. Wait, you already ran into your last? Yeah. You're on a run here? <laughs> I'm on big runs here, baby. <laughs> big runs. <laughs> is like impossible something like that connection here is yeah. Gogo Bordello Romani origin uh, from Ukraine the name comes from Nikolai Gogol Ukrainian writer who smuggled Ukrainian culture into Russian society which is what Gogo Bordello intends to do with Romani slash East European music in the English speaking world and Bordello in Italian, refers to a brothel or a gentleman's club. Weaving webs back to hound dog, which was slang for a Ooh. male gigolo. We don't plan this. I liked this one, though. I will say, talking about pasta, I once uh, was in Copenhagen and was hanging out with your uh, host family friend, Bara, and she was roommates with this Italian guy who we, we all went out drinking and we came back and he insisted on making pasta for everyone. <laughs> and it was delicious. I bet. And he would just he, like uh, feed you pasta and he'd watch your reaction. <laughs> and he'd be like, it's good, right? He was Italian. <laughs> yeah, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a whole other thing we didn't even get into, which I'm sure most people know this, but how noodles came to Italy from like Asia. Yes, and tomatoes, we'll talk about it like, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. With my next connection, since you already alluded to Jerusalem... And this is called. We're this song is called <laughs> "Insensible Men," "Insensible Ma." Just imagine him two fingers doing all that. That's crazy. Yeah, I went through a phase where I got really into making spaghetti sauce, red sauce. Same. Very fun activity. Yeah. To, uh, Does everyone do that? I think so, because there's something very meditative about it. And I had like a family so recipe good. that I was trying to 
you know, remake. And then I started thinking like, what if I added this a little this? And it's like the slow burn. It's like an explosions in the sky song. It takes, or uh, Emerson Lincoln yeah. Palmer, Carnival 9, a 29 minute song where, you know, you got to let it sit for a while, but then the payoff is good if you put in the hours. But passing it back, big runs. Woo! I just ate uh, some, big runs, taking us some home. Uh, undercooked pasta. I got big runs. We were talk, talking sense. about eating. Like Obvious reference to Garden of Eden, Jerusalem. Double connection, though. I guess the Talmud. Is that how you say it? Talmud? Mm-hmm. Poly connection. Is uh, the first written, first written uh, documentation about boiling wow. dough to, you know, eat it like pasta. To eat it? But I think you're right. China is, yeah, boiling. Did you say eat it? it? Eat it. Just, just like, eat it. Just uh, eat it. Yeah. Weird Al's cover of Beat It. All right, launching in Jerusalem. I just get like Ren Fair, Fair vibes from this. I mean, definitely thing. after you said that. <laughs> but I will say this song, definitely getting some weirdly like Fleet Foxes or something. Modern. Oh, I, I hear that too. So it feels like someone's kind of taking this sound a little. Father John Misty. Yeah. Well, did you look up the story behind this song? No, tell me. I don't really know. This is just like me rehashing a Wikipedia article I read this morning, but I think Jerusalem was like a poem maybe had a different name it was like a poem by William Blake who is an old English guy and this is something to do with like because even in the lyrics it's something like old England or something and it's like about like Jesus coming to England or something and it's just an old poem that's been adapted into a ton of different forms and this is like their take on it what's what's Jerusalem up to these days like the city yeah I'm not sure we're evergreen podcasts but I know it's a city in the Middle East and also which the country is Jerusalem it's the birthplace of Jesus or no it's Bethlehem yeah I but think that's it's a western centric way of looking at it well Jerusalem is a very interesting city if we want to get into it just in that it's really important to the three major dominant religions although religions. is is Hindi Hindu technically like more people than Christian Jewish Muslim I don't know alright let's see what the internet says by the way speaking of Hindu totally random but I was talking with Biz's uncle who's Indian and he uh-huh. said that India is not colonial, and that's like totally weird propaganda. It comes from Indus, which is like the river valley that the original nation of India was from, or the people of the area. That's the name India, where it comes from? Yeah, it's it's from Indus, the Indus River. And what did you think it was, or what do people he think it's he, from? 
I thought there was a whole backlash. They were going to stop calling India India because it was like a colonial, a colonial yeah. origins. I mean, maybe some colonists. Didn't you hear that? Maybe they did. They renamed it or they rebranded back to another name that I don't know enough about. But the poem is called And Did Those Feet in Ancient Time by William Blake. Uh, and it's like a redoing of Rev- the book of Revelation about Jesus coming to England and uh, setting up New Jerusalem, which ties into the apocalyptic themes of Carnival 9. And yeah, I wonder, I mean, it could be the Indus River, but that could be, you know, the colonizer saying, oh, the Indus River, we named this river Indus and we call this place India, you know. I don't know enough about it, but I can yeah. easily see that being the case. I mean, I'm going to trust him. We get political him. every week, but we're evergreen, and we thank you for listening. I butchered this episode. Nah, it was tough. There's a, so many gigantic things we were talking about. It's really hard. Those episodes are the hardest. Yeah. I'm like, hey, here's post-rock. <laughs> Here's post rock in five minutes. <laughs> it's like we're a pasta <laughs> restaurant with um tasting menu. Like, oh, here's just the best uh, fettuccine <laughs> you've ever had, but you only get a bite. But that's why you keep coming <laughs> yeah, back week next. after week. And like Ariana Grande says, Ariana Grande, famous Italian, says, "Thank you, next." <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs>